I'm Tess Vigland, and as we work, we're finding that college degrees aren't the only way to get a great job. With the tech industry, people are able to make a good living, and um, college isn't for everybody. A lot of people that I work with, they don't necessarily have a degree. They have a lot of experience, and then that translates a lot over to their work. I do think having a college degree is important, but I think at the end of the day, it is about your experience and your skills that's gonna bring you places and bring you higher up in your field. This is As We Work from the Wall Street Journal, a show about the changing workplace and everything you need to know to navigate it. That was Carmela Cohen, Maine Senku, and Aisha Saeed. We spoke with them on the streets of New York City. Today, a conversation about the career options open to workers who don't have a college degree and how companies are making it possible for those workers to retrain and rise through the ranks. It was one of the subjects we talked about at a WSJ Live event a couple of weeks ago, our day-long virtual jobs summit. Coming up, new collar jobs. Not white, not blue, but new. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today we're talking about new collar jobs, but it had me wondering, why do we use shirt types to describe our work? The terms blue collar and white collar have been around for decades. Merriam-Webster cites 1911 as the first known use of white collar, a class of salaried employees whose duties don't require special uniforms or protective clothing. Blue collar? Well, Webster cites 1929 for that, used to describe factory workers and other manual laborers paid hourly. Why blue? They often wore that color to hide dirt on their uniforms. Fast forward to 2016, and then IBM CEO Ginny Rometty tosses yet another phrase into the etymological bucket, new collar, describing a whole host of well-paying jobs, mostly in tech, that can be learned and done without four years of college. Here she is talking about it with the Wall Street Journal's editor-in-chief, Matt Murray, in 2019 at the World Economic Forum. I think you have to remove a stigma that it is a bad thing to be, people say blue collar, white collar. We come up with this title, new collar, meaning no problem. You don't have to have a university degree. You can have these contemporary skills and you could be a cyber expert, not necessarily with a university degree. So today we're going to explore that new collar workforce with two people who know a lot about it and spoke to us at our job summit, Bridget Gray. She's got over two decades of experience in workforce development and is currently the chief customer officer at the company Opportunity at Work. And Joanna Estanislau is with the software firm Okta and a graduate of their Business Development Associates program. It trains workers from non-traditional education backgrounds for jobs with its sales team. Our conversation has been edited for time and clarity. Thank you both so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Tess. 
So we've heard of white collar workers and blue collar workers, but what are new collar workers? Let me start with you, Bridget. Yeah, so new collar is this category of tech enabled roles that are available to 70 plus million workers who um, are skilled through an alternative route versus a bachelor's degree. And it's interesting that um, the former IBM CEO said when it comes to these new collar jobs that what matters the most uh, are the skills and experiences to perform a role. And that's what we're seeing today is this transition to skills-based hiring. Hmm. So then Joanna, let me turn to you and ask, what makes you a new collar worker? What were you doing and how has that changed? So my background, I have a strong background with hospitality and the service industry. And now I do sales for Okta, which is a identity and access management company. And so I was able to turn the skills that I had and transfer them into my daily routine. And I was part of cohort one for the business development associate program. So I began in June, 2021. So that was during the pandemic, and that was when I made the career shift. How did the pandemic factor into that decision for you, if it did? Well, I always knew that I was going to work on my career and further it into the corporate space. I just wasn't sure how. And I was furloughed from my previous employer, and it gave me the opportunity to step back, reassess, and figure out what were my next steps and how can I further develop my career? So it accelerated that plan. It was something that I always wanted to focus on. However, I just got engaged and I was hoping to save money before I stepped into the next phase of my life, which is focusing on my career. Well, congratulations on your engagement. Thank you. So, you know, Bridget, we've heard so much about how people left jobs and got new ones during the pandemic, uh, Joanna obviously being one of them. Talk to us a little bit about some of the reasons behind this surge in people looking to either boost or change their skills. And again, kind of how the pandemic has played out in that. Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting. um, During the pandemic, we relied heavily on essential workers, workers that kept this country running when everyone else was stuck at home, they were out making sure that we had all the things that we needed. And when you start to think in terms of essential workers who are grossly underpaid, um, had to go to work because they couldn't necessarily afford to leave their jobs, still having to meet their family needs. And so when you think in terms of the essential workers taking care of us, a lot of them took a step back to think about I don't want to go back into a role where I'm underpaid. I want to figure out how do I take the skills that I've been developing over all of these years in the work that I'm doing and transfer those skills to a company for a better paying job that gives them greater upward mobility and greater family sustaining wages. People took that time to just take a step backwards and reevaluate and rethink how they wanted to um, compete in this workforce. And what about the other side of that calculation, Uh, which, of course, is the companies that are doing the training and the hiring? Uh, What changed with them? Why why are we seeing this kind of surge in interest in this right now? Is it is it really the the job market? It it 
It is the job market. I think all workers right now are really determining what works for them. So employers are seeing the space where people are making choices and employers keep saying that they have a talent gap. The reality is there's not a labor market gap or a talent gap. It's the way employers are sourcing for talent. There are over 70 million people in this country who have the skills today to do the jobs that employers need, that have great upward mobility, that have great family sustaining wages. But employers are having to now rethink removing degree requirements uh, and making sure that they can open up the space so that people can use the experiences that they've developed through their former jobs or even just through a alternative pathway of training into a new company. So yes, employers are having to rethink that, which is which is smart. Um, and it takes a lot of work for employers to get to that space of thinking, we're no longer going to use a degree as a requirement for testing skills. Let's think about actual hard skills that people are using on a daily basis. And let's rethink what positions we can open up for the majority of the country of those who do not have a degree. 60% of people in this country don't have a post-secondary degree. Right, right. So let's talk about one of those pathways that you mentioned. Uh, Joanna, you took part in this special program at Okta. Can you give us some specifics on how that program worked and what you feel like you got out of it? So for the Business Development Associate Program, it is the new pilot program that they began last year where they were hoping this position would lead into the next promotion and for the beginning of the sales funnel within Octa's sales department. Mm. And so what's nice about the program is you are able to learn at your own pace. There's a 12-week curriculum, and you have that availability without the stress, and then they promote you when you are ready. And I thought that that was a great opportunity to, I mean, I have no experience in tech, and I didn't expect to take on the product and understand as much as I did. So it just was, it created a world of opportunity. And I also was able to understand what type of career paths I can also choose as far as pivoting as well. I, w- I wonder before you joined this Okta, Okta program, uh, were, did you look for any other routes? Uh, did you consider going back to school? Did you consider going into a different industry? Um, any Any kind of thought process behind that? So the thought process was the pandemic hit, I was furloughed and I was thinking, okay, how can I reinvent myself professionally or leverage the skills that I already had and understood that they were transferable. So what happened was I was looking into things, a mentor of mine had suggested a CompTIA certification Mm -hmm. and I looked into that. I also looked into what type of roles that I can obtain once I receive the certification And I leveraged my network and LinkedIn. And I remembered a friend of mine from high school. He once had a role doing what I was stepping into. So I reached Hmm. out to them and said, hey, let's grab lunch. I'd love to pick your brain professionally. He happened to work at Okta. And he was saying, well, you know, I'm available for the next 18 weeks. He was on paternity leave. And I was like, wow, that already said something about the company. But what was nice is a week after him and I had lunch, the position for the BDA um, opened up, the Business Development Associate Program at Okta. And I said, wow, this is perfect. That was the way I saw my segue into the industry. You know, Joanna was talking about 
some of the networking that she did and clearly went through this program with Okta. But I wonder, Bridget, if there are uh, perhaps some more practical ways that people can think about making this transition if they if they want to become this new new collar worker. Uh, what are some other kind of paths that you might have come across that you could share with our audience? In tech and IT jobs, there are so many transferable skills that people are working today that will transition into a tech career. And when you think of the biggest thing around customer service, um, the customer service that people use, that's a transferable skill, problem solving and critical thinking, all of that is part of tech. But there are also opportunities out there for healthcare pathways. There Mm -hmm. are opportunities for advanced manufacturing. The biggest thing is for people to have the connection. One of the things that Joanna mentioned that I think is we just can't skate over is having social capital is huge. Knowing people that work in companies, most people find their jobs through who they know. Right. Oftentimes when we think about those who are looking for new collar jobs, they may not have the social capital that other people may have, that you and I may have. And so it's really important for us to make sure our workforce systems are really strong and connect people to training opportunities that are available to them. There's training tracks built for young adults, 18 to 24. There are training tracks that are built for those that are over 25. And there are military veterans that are coming out every day that don't necessarily get access and opportunity to jobs. And so it is important for people to understand, one, what pathway are you looking for? And two, how do we make sure we're connecting them to the right training tracks if a four-year degree is not attainable? I wanted to go back to something Bridget had said. Sure. You know, as far as my search goes, um, she jogged my memory on when I was going through my search, I do want to share that as I was looking at these job listings and I did feel excluded from a lot of the listings because I did not have a traditional degree. I did explore other forms of education past high school, but it didn't seem to apply. Job postings are usually asking anywhere from three to five years of experience, and you're hoping to get a promotion anywhere from two to three years. And so that's just what's very unique about the program at Okta because of the opportunity within itself, because Essentially, a year ago, I probably would not be here if this opportunity wasn't made available. When we come back, erasing the stigma around not having a college degree. And we want to ask you, are you on the job hunt? What's it been like? And what's some advice you've been getting? Email us at aswork@wsj.com. That's aswework, all one word, at wsj.com. WSJ Special Access gives you a front row seat to some of the Wall Street Journal's most exciting content, like The Quirkier Side of Life, a new series that features the fun, surprising stories our reporters come across. The chief executive walks 10,000 barefoot steps every day. He recalls stepping on a bee, which put him off earthing for a couple of days, but he got back to it. Check out The Quirkier Side of Life on WSJ Special Access, only for WSJ subscribers. (laughs) 
you know, I have to say a lot of this sounds so obvious in this context, right? Yeah. I mean, people can transfer skills and experience from other jobs, other life experiences uh, than, you know, only a, a four-year college degree. So I want to ask each of you a little bit about why this has not happened previously to the extent that it is now. And Joanna, I'm curious whether you feel like you faced any stigma in your job search. Yes, there is a definitely a stigma as far as how um, the general population tends to look at servers and bartenders. Mm -hmm. You often hear people say, oh, you know, we'll just get a better job. You know, it's just, it's a little insensitive, I would say, mm -hmm. because I know of people who have escaped from domestic violence or didn't have the luxury of being able to rely on their family or just needing to be able to build themselves up while they seek further education. And so not everybody has the same advantages as everyone. And so there's a self-stigma, there's a stigma from the mm. society, and then also because of the previous requirements and qualifications, there's a stigma and, well, this person's underqualified. I wouldn't be working at the organization that I do now if there was that layer of glass in front of me where I couldn't even submit my application or it wouldn't have been considered. Yeah. yeah. So, so Bridget, when we look at companies and their role in this, do you believe that, they're, that they are seeing a stigma uh, potentially with candidates, job candidates who don't have that four-year degree? And then what would your message be? Uh, what, you know, what are the consequences of mm -hmm. companies dragging their feet on setting up a program like this? Let's go backwards for a second. So the, the last time there was an impact to the labor market, was in 2008 during the Great Recession, right? Correct, yeah. And there was a huge increase in using bachelor's degrees as a tool to screen out workers because companies had so many people applying for jobs. But as a result, the degree became the proxy at that point of hmm. how skills um, were determined in the hiring manager's mind. And so when you think between um, 2008 and 2017, 74% of all new jobs, and in certain occupations were requiring a bachelor's degree. But again, 60% of adult workers in the U.S. workforce uh, do not have a bachelor's degree. So it means that half of the workers uh, could only access, what, 26% of the new jobs that were created. So we fast forward to today where mm -hmm. the, the employers are seeing the exact same thing. We have a labor market shortage and um, we need to be able to fill these jobs and we need to fill these jobs with people with degrees. The challenge is degrees have to be removed. Otherwise, you are going, employers are going to still find themselves in this exact same situation of spinning. One of the things that I would say is we're not talking about degrees um, are not important. We're not saying that degrees uh, for specialized fields aren't necessary, right? Sure. What we're saying is that there are many jobs that people can do within a company that does not require a four-year degree. And so employers would do great by going in, revisiting what those roles are, looking at them, thinking about if education wasn't a option, what would be the skills you actually need people to demonstrate in order to in order to do those jobs. So Joanna, I wonder if you uh, could talk with 
all those other workers considering making this kind of leap, um, what would your message be for them, particularly those who might be concerned or afraid to make this kind of change and go for this kind of training? My advice would be to believe in yourself, invest in yourself and believe in what you want and to pursue as far as you can reach in your potential, because there's always opportunity out there. There's a lot of opportunity out there. There's a lot of money to be made and you will find your way and your path. I do believe that eventually things do align when it's right. So just keep looking, keep having the conversations. You never know what opportunities lie ahead with the people you may know. Uh, a friend I haven't spoken to in a couple of years other than Merry Christmas and Happy Birthday, <laughs> it jumped to my next um, role and right. now my new career for most likely the rest of my life. So it changed my life, that lunch. So just have faith and believe in yourself. Keep up the happy birthdays. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you both for joining us, Bridget Gray and Joanna Estanislau. Thank you. Really appreciate the conversation. Thank you, Tess. Thank you. Bye. Nice meeting you, Joanna. Nice meeting you too, Bridget. Coming up, schmoozing and cruising and all the stuff we forgot how to do when networking went remote. We'll have some tips on getting back in the in-person game, conferences and other social work events. Join the Wall Street Journal at the Future of Everything Festival on May 21st to 23rd in New York City, where diverse global newsmakers share unique perspectives on navigating a changing world. Immerse yourself in live performances, explore pioneering technologies, and indulge in the city's inventive culinary scene. As a podcast listener, enjoy 20% off current ticket rates with code PODCAST. Visit wsj.com F-O-E-F podcast to secure your spot. And finally today, our pro tip. Who's excited for the return of conferences and networking events and galas and all those schmoozing opportunities we've missed over the last two years? Not me. But some of you might be, and some of us might not have a choice but to suck it up and go. And for all of us who've forgotten the niceties of, you know, being with lots of other people in a professional setting... Ray Smith of our Life and Work team is here with some helpful hints. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. So here we are more than two years after the start of the pandemic. Lots of people going back to the office, some of them realizing uh, maybe they forgot how to deal with people, you know, face to face. <laughs> I don't know. Have you experienced this? Yes. It's sort of like being rusty at this. It's been yeah. so long since we've done this and been immersed in it. So it's really like greasing those wheels again, if you will. Yeah, totally. Um, all right. So <laughs> so let's talk about how to kind of get back to schmoozing or uh, networking, I suppose, is a, a less judgmental word. Um, is, is this kind of like riding a horse? You'll, you'll get that muscle memory back eventually. H how do you start making that happen? Yes. And I love the way that you put it because it is like getting back on it again. Yeah. And you do have to also just acknowledge that we've all been through a lot and 
that other people you're schmoozing with may also be under stress. It's it's okay to just admit to acknowledge the elephant in the room and say, hey, you know, isn't this strange? We haven't done this in a while. Or I'm a little rusty. How about you? You don't have to make the conversation all about the pandemic, but you can certainly bring up, I haven't done this as much, and it's great to be out again. And you can even ask the other person how they're dealing with it. So, so what are some of the ways to get over kind of that sense of overwhelm when you're going back into situations where there are a lot of people around you? I mean, a lot of folks have been going back into the office, back into restaurants, but that's really different from being surrounded by dozens, even hundreds of people at maybe a conference or a networking event, a gala. I would imagine there's still some kind of post-COVID PTSD going on for some people just being in crowds. That's an excellent question, Tess, and you're absolutely right. What people may want to consider are a couple of things. Think of the word doses, like take this stuff in doses. Sometimes you don't have to stay for the whole event, or you can sort of engage a little bit at a time here and there. Maybe find someone or go with someone, a trusted sort of partner in crime who can say, hey, we're only going to stay here for a limited amount of time. I will signal you when we're ready to leave. <laughs> but, but one of the other things you can do is basically just plan beforehand. Just make sure that if you're uncomfortable being around a lot of people, um, make sure you manage where you position yourself or have your space. Just, just remember to just think about this in dosages. I love that idea. Ray Smith, thanks for the helpful hints. Thank you, Tess. Next time, well, we're taking a short break for a couple of weeks, and we'll be back with a new set of episodes starting May 17th. A reminder that we are always happy to hear from you. Don't forget to send us your advice, especially if you're in the job hunt. Email us with what you've learned. Our address is aswework at wsj.com. That's aswework, all one word, at wsj.com. You can also find us on Twitter at WSJ Podcasts, and I'm at Tess Viglund. As We Work is a production of The Wall Street Journal. Charlotte Gartenberg is our producer. Amanda Llewellyn is our development producer. Scott Salloway is our supervising producer. Jessica Fenton is our sound engineer. Our music was composed by Hansdale Sue. Kateri Yoakum is your favorite song on repeat and the Wall Street Journal's executive producer of audio. I'm Tess Viglund. See you next time.